This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. I'm Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. And today we have a pretty interesting guest. We actually have a physician who has left his job. A lot of people in the fire community worry about the sunk cost. You've put all this education and time into your career. And it's difficult to leave that. So I've always thought that physicians epitomize that. I talk about sunk costs. You've been in medical school. What is what has more sunk costs than that? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his FI journey, and we're going to talk about effective altruism and how he gives back. So tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm Leif Dahlin. I was an anesthesiologist for 13 years and uh, finished that job up in 2019. And now I travel with my family. I document our journey on physicianonfire.com. And uh, yeah, and we came to Colorado to visit some friends, uh, friends named Carl and Mindy. You might be familiar with them. Yes. Yes. Before we get into it, I'm going to tell a little story about the first two times I met Leaf. The first time was way back. This must have been like 2016 or something like that. I was going up to visit J.L. Collins in Wisconsin, and I had never met you in real life. I think you were still anonymous at that point. That's correct. Yeah, but I knew you lived. You weren't far away from J.L., so I'm like, hey, physician on fire, person from the internet, I'm going to visit J.L., uh, why don't you come down to his house? And I don't think I'd even ran this past jail. I just invited a stranger to someone else's house, which is pretty strange. But you seemed all right from the internet. And uh, <laughs> I, I thought jail would like you. And it turned out fine. It was great, right? Yeah, we had a nice time. And I, I brought a tent and I camped out on the sand on the shores of, of Lake Michigan there. Yeah, it was a really nice yeah. time. Yeah. And then shortly after that, Leaf is like, hey, if you're coming up to the Midwest, you should stay at our place. So we did just that. We all went up there and I was a little bit nervous. I had known you a little bit, but still like what's going to happen there. And I remember one night you're like, yeah, I've, I've got some people coming over. We're going to sample some beer and have a little party. And I don't know if I ever told you this, but I, I was a little bit nervous. I'm like, oh man, I just assumed that there were going to be a bunch of other doctors coming over to your house. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? There's going to be a bunch of doctors talking about whatever shit doctors talk about. <laughs> And I'm going to be sitting there in a corner, like staring at my shoes or something like that. But then it turned out it was just some dudes from the neighborhood and it was all great. It was a, yeah, it was a, it was a fun evening and I had nothing to worry about. Your wife made those, what are those pastries called? Poppins or puffins? Oh, popovers. Yes. Yes. We had beer and popovers and it was not a healthy night, but it, it, (laughs) it was a good night. The popovers are awesome. Yeah, yeah, you can put, you know, uh, all sorts of different fillings in there, syrup or honey or butter or cream cheese or, or what have you. Yeah. Have yeah. you have you ever had one of those, Doug? Or? No, I don't think so. We were just Maybe. in Acadia National Park, and there's a place on a lake there that's, like, known for, like, famous for the popovers. It's basically like a an egg-based muffin that... Uh, you, not really a muffin, but it's like an egg-based, paste, egg-based pastry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's pretty good. I have heard of, uh, it's up in the same area, I think, uh, Pasties. 
pasties. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought it was pasties. And yeah, I thought pasties. It was pasties. Pasties. Have you had those? The UP. Yeah. I, I think I have. It's like a meat pie or something it is, like that. It right? is. I think rutabaga is important in there for some reason. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah. So that's the closest thing regionally, but um, I'll have to check it out. It sounds good. Yeah. Do you all have a good pasty recipe? No, but popovers, we can share a recipe for that. Okay. All right. Awesome. Okay. So... You were a doctor. You retired some years ago, which we'll get into that. So why medical school? Why medicine? Did you know that was a, you know, put calling in quotes, but how'd you get there? Uh, yes. And calling in quotes. That's a good, that's a good thing because I, I always did well in, in school and particularly the STEM classes. I excelled at math and science and enjoyed science. And so it seemed like a natural fit. And you know, in my blood, my mother was a nurse. Her father was a physician and surgeon. Uh, my dad and his dad were both dentists. Uh, but my brother, my older brother, decided to pursue that path. And so I wasn't going to do the same thing. Uh, and uh, choosing a medical school gives you a more broad variety of options. You choose dental school, you're here in the mouth, right? Medical school, you could still do all sorts of different things. And uh, yeah, so I went straight through four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, and it was there that I, I realized that anesthesia felt like a, a pretty good fit for me. Yeah. So, so that's, that's why, you know, I, it wasn't like necessarily a calling. It just was a natural fit. You were a methylete in high school, correct? <laughs> I, lo I love using that term. Yes. <laughs> I, I, uh, I think it may have been junior high or early high school, but uh, the top three in like the math, I don't know what they called it, math Olympiads or something for like the region. Um, they took a picture, it was in the paper. It was me standing, you know, 5'8", maybe <laughs> then. And then Wan Yin Wu and Quan Jae Wu, you know, their brother or sister <laughs> team from uh, the bigger town. They were like a foot and a half shorter. It was pretty funny. Uh, and then I went to state in math league as a high school student. Yes. Um, didn't didn't place, didn't win, but I, I, I was good with numbers. Do you still remember? Could we throw out some derivative or integrals calculus and you can no i would have to relearn that stuff if i was going to teach my kids like i mean yeah. i don't really use calculus i sort of understand the concept the area under the curve right but yeah, yeah no i haven't done any of those problems in many a year i can remember the derivative of 4x squared which would be 8x and that's probably the most calculus that i remember i'm sure it would all come back though oh man yeah i was gonna say i remember nothing but i took a lot. I have a computer engineering degree, so I took mm -hmm. a whole lot of math. And was there a particular math that you liked? Like, was trig really something or I don't know? I think the, the, those kind of interesting problems that, you know, sometimes they're combinations and permutations or uh, things that you can work out on paper that maybe the question looks daunting, but once you just yeah. start from the top and work your way down. Yeah, yeah no, but uh, we don't have to talk about my mathletism <laughs> all this much, right? I went to state in wrestling, too, as a team. I was not a good wrestler, but our team was good. Oh, anyway. My God, I'm picturing him like, like, <laughs> like, like Penny and somebody, what's a derivative of a forex squared? Like, <laughs> slabbing your head into the ground. I, I guess as pro wrestling, you weren't hitting people with folding chairs. Uh, no, no. Uh, that so be... not the mask kind, not like a yeah. luchador. It's different. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Yeah, not not the Lucha Libre. <laughs> oh, that'd be so awesome. We'll, we'll talk about your travels maybe later, if you've yeah. actually done that in Mexico. But yeah, let's talk about identity. Um, as I'm thinking about this question, I, do you remember our friend who's also a physician, Brian, who is, I think he was from Minnesota as well. I saw him at a meetup up there. 
He yeah, he was in uh in Iowa was where he practiced. And yes. Yeah. It, he and I got together in, in Guanajuato, Mexico, actually, not not that long ago. Yeah. Within, he, within the last year. He's a good guy. And I remember one of the conversations about him is he was talking about how he couldn't, he was talking about, I think, a specific, I, I don't know who it was, but it was some other physician he knew who had rented like a whole space to put his cars and to hang out and all this stuff. And someone living like, uh, Every dollar that's coming in, it sounded like was going out. And he was like, you know, I don't really live like that on, on the opposite. But I, I guess I've always had that image in my head of a physician as well. Like you're going to drive a big black Mercedes and have a a fancy house and all that stuff. How about you? It doesn't seem like I, I saw your house. I stayed in there. If I didn't know you were a physician, I would never have guessed that. Um, do you identify as a physician? I guess. Or uh, that's a weird uh, question. Yeah. Are you asking for my pronouns? Right. Um, <laughs> yes. 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 No. I mean, yeah, it was my job. It was my career. I would go that far. It was a good career, and I never felt uncomfortable necessarily as a physician. I felt very comfortable and, and confident in what I did, and and um, at the same time, once I left the hospital took the scrubs off, you know, I never left the hospital with the scrubs on. Some people do that. I think they want to be seen in public with their scrubs. Like, yeah, it's weird. I don't know. But uh, no, that was definitely not me. Like, I wouldn't lead with that. You know, the doctor card was something that I, I kept kind of deep in the pocket there and, and tried to uh, avoid that, you know, what do you do for work kind of question, because then people make assumptions about you. Like, you do, Carl. Like, yes. oh, yeah, so uh, you, you must live a you know, pretty fancy life. Nah. So, you know, it was it was my job and and I certainly felt comfortable uh with it as a career. Um but that was not the maybe defining feature of of who I am, who I was. Yeah. So you never took a personal helicopter to your cigarette boat on Lake Superior <laughs> or anything like that. Right. No. That was... With a bottle of Don Periode. And... Carry on, whatever. So, and just to dig a little deeper on that, so it sounds like even during your career, you didn't necessarily identify as a doctor. You're like, it's a good job, and I'm doing my thing. But you know, you're a you know a, a runner, a father, family man, other stuff. Yeah, you weren't like I'm a doctor, and this defines what I'm doing. Yeah, like Carl said, you know, when we had people over, I I was friends with people I worked with, but I didn't hang out a whole lot with uh, other doctors after work. Um, I think that gathering was mostly neighborhood friends. I was in a home brewing club that uh, I was you know pretty good friends with a number of the guys in there. Those were probably my my closer friends uh, when I lived in uh, in Brainerd, and uh, I was on a curling team, and we had a lot of fun with that. Now that was mostly doctors, I guess at least yeah. our team was because it yeah. formed at the hospital. Uh, but yeah, no, so I yeah I like to do a lot of things, and um, I you know some people worry about. What will I do with my time when I no longer have a job? And that never concerned me. Right. I've always had plenty to do, and I've never been away from the job and wished I was at the job, you know. And we've now identified another interesting intersection. So I'm a home brewer as well, mm -hmm. and a homebrew club is a great, like, it's a swath of just random different people. Mm -hmm. It's uh, really a, a fun group because, they well, they like to drink usually. Yeah. <laughs> and then curling is the other. So I'm from Atlanta originally, but we lived in Bozeman for a few years. Uh -huh. And then we got into curling. My wife still plays in a league. There's a really nice facility that opened up in Lafayette around here. Nice. It's a, uh, it's kind of a lifestyle, kind of like homebrewing. Some people do it 
all like all week long like it's a huge deal you so you can if you want yeah i was just on a recreational tuesday night league <laughs> okay yeah it's another good drinking sport um mm -hmm. i don't i don't know how you're there I mean, is a, a tradition yeah. where the winning team buys the losing team around yeah. you sit down at a table together after yeah. your match and have a beverage so yeah it's a good sport yeah Carl, you've talked about going. We will have to uh, set it up before too long, for I, sure. I would love to go. I actually like to watch it on TV. It, yeah, I, I think it's super cool. Yeah, it's um, it's a lot more physical than you would imagine. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but if you're if you're playing, even recreational, like it's yeah, uh, fairly sweeping physical. is uh, you know, it it's intense. <laughs> yeah, it can be, and it's more difficult to smoothly glide down the ice like they do on television and keep your composure and gently release. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't always happen like that. It's tough. Yeah, you'll take a spill or two. So, okay, <laughs> back on topic. How do you reconcile the tremendous sunk costs of being a physician with retiring early? And, you know, Carl alluded to that, but maybe you can right. even describe the scope for people that don't know, like time, uh, other resources, capital, of course, like all those sunk costs that count towards um, that right. feeling. Right, so yeah, so the path is... Graduate high school, go to college, four years, medical school, four years. And towards the end of medical school, you match into a residency that you choose. Most people end up in their specialty of choice, but they can be competitive. Um, and the residency is three years minimum, depending on the specialty, like pediatrics and family medicine and internal medicine are three years. And other specialties are four, five, or six years. And then you can do a fellowship after residency to further specialize. I did not choose a fellowship. I chose a four-year residency. So altogether it was 12 years. I was 30 years old when I finished residency because I went straight through age 18 plus 12, 30. And then started my, my career uh, a few months shy of my 31st birthday. So that's a, yeah, it's a big cost. It's a ton of time. You know, the twenties are when a lot of people are starting to, you know, put money away for their retirement and starting to pay down their student loans, starting a family. And all of that was delayed, right? So I, I wasn't paying, I was still accruing debt. I was, um, you know, I didn't start a family till I was in my thirties and, and out on my own and had more time, frankly, and, and a wife, I guess I didn't have a wife before that either. So, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. And then, so how do I reconcile leaving after it was about a 13 year career? And, you know, I guess I would just uh, quote Elsa from Frozen and say, you know, the past is in the past. So let it go. Like, doesn't really matter. What do you want to do from this day forward? Right? How do you want to spend your time? What resources do you have to, you know, allow for? And by the way, I, I just have a lot more resources. <laughs> I don't know what this is doing here, but there's $10,000. Um, yeah. And so it's uh, it's really immaterial where you were and where you've been. It, it got you to where you are. So it, it counts, it matters. But I looked at, okay, we've got the FI piece. And, and I figured that out about four to five years before I retired from medicine. And so by then we were pretty close to double FI. So the money wasn't really an issue. And it's like, how do we want to spend our time? We've got two kids. They're at the time, eight and 10 years old, uh, you know, about to get into like the junior high, awkward middle school years. 
they enjoy traveling that, you know, we, we'd done some traveling while I was working. And when I was working part-time the last couple of years, we took a couple of like three week trips, went to Mexico for three weeks, went to Hawaii for three weeks. They really enjoyed it and they thrived. And uh, we thought, yeah, we can, we can be location independent if I don't have a doctor job. And we would love to travel more extensively and more, um, you know, without always having to work around my schedule. So, yeah, it was more about just looking forward, not backwards, because the past is in the past. Yeah. Now, Carl, did you sense any sunk cost feelings when you were coming up to retirement? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, actually, a little bit. I worked pretty hard at my career. There were some 80-hour weeks in there. And, uh, yeah, I guess I did. But that probably wasn't the most difficult part of it. I'm trying to think. My situation was pretty weird because I went to school for biology and chemistry. I never actually used that in my career. So my the career program or the computer program I went to was only like 3,800 bucks. So that's a lot cheaper than med school. Yeah, <laughs> it was a little, a, little the, bit. <laughs> yeah, it was like the best 3,800 bucks I've ever spent because you can get a very lucrative. I got a very lucrative IT career from that. But yeah, I guess I feel silly now for saying I had sunk costs, but maybe the time and effort I put it into my job. But yeah, that's it. How, yeah. about, how about yourself, Doug? Not, not so much. And I, I was laid off, so I didn't have the same kind of feelings. And I was just talking to my wife this morning. I didn't identify as a project manager so much. And over the course of, I would say, three years, I just slowly got away from that and just didn't define myself by the work that I was doing at all. Mm -hmm. So when they laid me off, it was a it was great. I had no sunk cost feelings. I was like, great. I didn't even have to make that decision. Thank you. <laughs> they kicked me out. Yeah. So then I just, yeah, just adopted this new, uh, I don't know what I call myself now, maybe podcaster that fits for at least this format. Right. But, but yeah, it, it was pretty easy and I hardly used, uh, my engineering background at all ever. So that's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Did you get unemployment after that since they booted you or? I I did not because I had a side business going that I grew, so I never didn't have income. Okay. Cool. So I was self-employed immediately. Yeah. So Leaf, one question I've asked you in the past, and this just came up yesterday again, is how hard it would be to go back to work. And it turns out for you, we don't have to go into all the details, but it would be very difficult at this point for you to go back to your job. So basically that means you're never going back and you're not going to be able to do your job again. Have you ever been called out? Because I actually have. I've been called selfish for quitting my job for a couple different reasons. Have you ever been called out on that? And do you think it's selfish at all not to either apply your skills or I don't know? Yeah, uh, that's a good, good question. You know, um, is it selfish? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I'm doing what I want to do for me. Right. Okay. I'm looking out for number one. Um, I've had the support of my family and, and my parents too, before I you know made this decision. Um, and have I been called out? Definitely. You know, anytime, you know, something I've written about early retirement shows up in a public forum um, where other doctors are hanging out, some of them get pretty upset. Like, oh, you took up a spot in residency and someone else could have gone to medical school and worked for 30 years. And and I think other doctors in particular, but maybe other people too, we seem to hold physicians to a different standard. Like, 
we owe society a, a full 30 plus year career as though we all signed up for some kind of indentured servitude when we got accepted to medical school, which wasn't the deal that I recall signing, you know, but um, yeah, there, there, there is a, a sense out there that some people feel once you've had, you know, you've been given this training and these abilities that you should use them to the utmost extent you can. But I think there's a slippery slope there. Okay, well, are you working? Oh, you're only working 40 to 50 hours a week. You could probably do 60 or 70, couldn't you? Use your skills a little more. Oh, and you're taking two or three weekends off every month? Really? So aren't you being selfish by not using your skills to the utmost extent? Now, I mean, I'm kind of being you know sure. facetious here and playing devil's advocate, but no, it's a free country. And uh, and I, I, I think that uh, everyone is free to do what they would like to do with their time. And uh, yeah, I, I don't feel a whole lot of shame or guilt in having, having left the career. And I see a lot of physicians that, you know, really suffer from career burnout and have it a lot tougher than I ever did. If I had burnout, it was really mild, just kind of a more apathy than anything, I think after, after a certain time. But uh, no, I think it's important to try to educate physicians and others to start to save some of that money so that you maybe can have, options, have an out, have the ability to cut back, work less, work in a less demanding way, or retire like I did. Sure. So what basically you're telling me is, is you're helping other physicians be selfish as well. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just screwing <laughs> you know, with you. You're, I've been <laughs> accused of that too. You're not the first one. No, it's a good thing, but uh, I didn't mean to go in that direction. Uh, I was being a little bit snarky there, but your blog has helped a ton of people. Your, your blog is Physician on Fire is hugely successful. So you could take that by, well, sure, I'm not giving my skills to the patients who need it in Brainerd, Minnesota or wherever, but I'm helping the world through my blog. I can have a much bigger reach and a completely different subject matter. But yeah, you're still doing a lot of good. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, there is there is the uh, you know limitation as an anesthesiologist. You can supervise up to about four rooms at a time. And uh, you know, doing what I do now, I do reach a, a lot more people. Uh, every day in a different way. But I think, uh, you know, my goal isn't to retire every physician early. You know, that's not at all what I want them to do. I just want them to be in a financial position where they have some leverage and some options and aren't just uh, stuck. You know, a lot of people feel stuck. And the, yeah, the question's interesting just because I think if you take selfish to a uh, to an extreme, it's bad, you know, kids not sharing their toys or some kind of thing. But it's like, if you're, as you mentioned, looking out for yourself and your family and you're like, I could be a little happier, like mm -hmm. that makes sense to me. And I, I mean, I'm certainly selfish. Like we don't have kids. I have a lot more options and flexibility. And, you know, part of not having kids is like the selfishness that I know that I have. Um, and maybe I'm just trying to justify it to myself, mm -hmm. but I can see people like making choices for themselves instead of thinking of everyone else first. Again, that's taking it to another extreme, but it's well, kind but of an I existential. I think there's something there. I think a lot of physicians, you know, you're basically taught to care for everyone else and, and then to the, uh, you know, detriment of your own self-care. And so, you know, before the show, we were talking about our morning runs uh, today that, that Carl and I went on and I have the time to run and exercise and do all these things on my own schedule, which I never could really do consistently before. 
Cool. Yeah, real quick, one follow-up of, is I've been called selfish because I'm not working and I'm not paying taxes. So you I'm worked not. your butt off. I don't even, yeah. <laughs> that That is what I say too. And the other thing is, I'm, well, there's two other points I want to make. One you alluded to, but the first one is I'm using less resources. I'm not driving. I'm not using the public roads. I still pay property taxes, which fund the school for my children. But the other one is I've got time, so I'm I'm much healthier than I would have been otherwise. So I hope that I use less resources like Medicare as I grow older. So mm-hmm. one more point since you mentioned taxes, because yeah. you know I went to a, a public uh, university for undergrad and medical school, and of course K through twelve uh, public schools, and so and even residency is somewhat taxpayer supported. Uh, so that's an argument too. Oh, you owe back because the government puts you in that position. Okay, well, I did work for 13 years, and I paid six figures in taxes every one of those years, probably $2 million altogether while I was working. I think I've paid back the, uh, you know, the few thousand dollars that were uh, maybe, you know, supplementing my university education and all of that. So, yeah, I think that's another absurd argument, but I've heard it before. Yeah, and you rode your bicycle to work, so you weren't using the infrastructure that's right, as man. much I, as other I people. I had my electrified bike that I learned how to do from you. Okay, nice. Awesome. All right. Anything else um, career-wise that you want to mention before we move on to the FI and FIRE piece? No, I'm good. Let's keep let's keep it going. How did you discover FIRE? Do you remember the day and all that and kind of walk us through how you arrived at I it? I do. I do. And I, I even wrote a blog post called Inception uh, about this. But I was um, studying for a board exam and it was kind of a bogus thing that they made us do. And I had, you know, to kill time, I, I was just, blog, you know, uh, surfing the internet and found an article about uh, our friend Pete, Mr. Money Mustache, and I believe it was Market Watch. And it just described how at 30, he realized he had enough money to cover his current expenses. And for the last 10 plus years at the time, he hadn't held down a, a like traditional job like he had, which was software engineering beforehand. And it went into the math behind it, the 4% rule of 25X. And I thought that was pretty amazing. I had never seen that uh, sort of concept that I just always saw the retirement calculator say, you will spend 70% or 80% of your current income. You should have that much. And of course, that doesn't make any sense to me now. Uh, But when I looked at that 25X and then I said, I'm going to add up my 401k and my 457b and I had a taxable account and it added up to about 25 times what we spent. I was like, oh, why am I studying for this dumb test? (laughs) Which I did take and I passed. And I obviously went from there to a few other fire blogs, 1500 days. Uh, I remember the Mad Fientist podcast I found pretty early on. Um, Root of Good was another. Retire by 40. So these old school what I would consider old school. Anything with, you know, more than five years ago is like old school now, right? Yeah. At least in this this space. Um, and I read all that stuff and realized, yeah, yeah, we're FI. So made about a five-year plan at that point to uh, to exit medicine. What year after, was that? That was after several months and a lot of talk with my wife. I should point that out. Okay. What year was that? Twenty Late 2014, I think I found that first article. And into 2015, I started really working my own spreadsheets and making some more formative plans. And after discovering fire, which makes you sound like a very accomplished caveman, 
<laughs> Did you change your budgeting, expenses, savings, or anything like that? It sounds like you had a pretty good footing in a high income yeah. uh, before that. So yeah, did you make any big changes? Really didn't. We had been saving. I just didn't really know what for. And uh, yeah, so I didn't have to do much different. We had a, a home that we had lived in back in northern Michigan before the hospital where I worked went bankrupt. And we had been trying to sell that. And so I, I didn't really count the home equity in that house as part of our net worth until I sold it, although I knew it was there. So when that happened, when we actually finally sold the place, and I knew we were like truly FI, but we were really already there. And that happened that fall of 2015, I think. Um, so yeah, but no, not much changed. Uh, just continued to save and invest. And it seems like a lot of years were different because we did have to move a couple times. There was that bankruptcy and uh, yeah, it was, the career was interesting. Um, I went to work for a hospital that was brand new and uh, it was a really nice job because I just, there weren't that many patients. Yeah. <laughs> didn't work that hard. Got paid pretty well to do it. Uh, but my wife realized she didn't like being like 16 hour drive from uh, her home in Northern Michigan. Uh, and then I went and took my final job in, in Northern Minnesota, close to my parents. Um, and I'm from Minnesota originally, so that was a, a good place to be. But ultimately my wife's goal was to get back to Northern Michigan and when I was able to retire, well, that's where we went. Gotcha. And before we move on, I had a great question that I completely just forgot <laughs> and it was extremely <laughs> relevant. Oh, I know. When, so you discovered fire in 2014, if you would have found any of this stuff beforehand, say, let, let's say three years into your career, would you have changed your trajectory? Uh, what do you think would have happened? We're looking in the past, yeah, but just right, as a right. thought experience. Yeah, it's hard to, to know the alternate reality. Um, but I think about that because I'm reaching people that are still in residency or just starting their careers. And I think it would be a really long slog if you thought, oh, I just have to do this for 10 more years and then I can be a position. And then you're constantly tracking your net worth and you're looking forward to this you know, one day that's a long ways off rather than just enjoying the present and making the best of you know the situation you have. And I never really disliked my job. There were aspects of it that were difficult, but um, I think it would have been tougher in a way because I would know that this is possible and maybe I'd be planning on it. On the other hand, I think that early in my career, I don't think I would have felt that I would want to retire in 10 years. So yeah. I retired after 13, three years in, I wouldn't have been like, I'm like, nah, I got a good 20, 25 years in me easily. Like, it eh, just, uh, I think we all change. The jobs can change. Things happen that can leave you a little bit disillusioned and yeah. But I, I almost feel a little bit bad for people that figure it out really early in their career. If they decide that FI is going to be their goal or fire specifically is their goal, because then you've got, a lot of years to get through and you don't want to live life like that getting through a decade right yeah yeah and it's i mean you, we hear the story occasionally now that we're talking to enough people where you run the numbers and you're like oh i had five like uh, maybe a couple years ago and mm -hmm. you're like all right uh, may, we can ease into it and now you have some leverage and you can quit your job if you want to get a new bad boss or something like that. So yeah, it's kind of, it's interesting. Ignorance is bliss at yeah. times. And I think, uh, yeah, maybe I would have saved 
maybe shaved a year off if I had been more intentional with the way we were spending and, and uh, choices we made. But I think it worked out well. You like where you're at. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> One follow-up question. You mentioned maybe connecting with residents through the blog. Have you ever connected with someone who's a resident who's going to come out of school making like, maybe they're in some specialty and they're going to make like $800,000 a year. I'm just throwing that out. I have no idea. He's going into plastic surgery or something like that. Yeah. But he found your blog and he's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to live in some old lady's basement for 500 bucks a month. And I'm going to have a 99.8% savings rate. And I'm going to be retired in six months. Uh, I'm being sarcastic here, but <laughs> right. have you ever heard any stories like that? Someone who's discovered your blog and it's just going to go crazy and just uh, blow life up. You know, I have an interview series where I, um, it's a written interview, but people write in and answer these questions. And one of the series is the post-fi notes. And one doctor, and I think he's married to a doctor, they're post-fi within five years of residency. And now he has no plans of slowing down and he works his tail off, uh, you know, nights, weekends, no vacations. It's kind of crazy. I mean, he's doing that. I'm going all in, except he has no like end goal. And I'm not sure what the end goal is because they've already got plenty of money. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I have not come across a story quite to the extreme uh, that, that you're mentioning. But, I mean, you, you don't have to do that either. If you're making, you know, 500000 800000 a year, and those are high-end incomes for doctors. But like you say, you know, in, in you know, orthopedic surgery, plastic surgery, so number, number of different ways to, to do it. Um, yeah, you can spend, let's say, 200000 a year and pay your taxes of 250000 a year and still have 350000 left to invest if you're making eight hundred k. So, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't take long, even if you were spending out what we would consider a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Doug, I have to tell you, I would very much like to make 800000 a year, but I'd have to pretty much 1,000x my current income. So I, I've got a ways to go. I'm lucky that Mindy makes a little bit more than me and we have some savings. But yeah, that would be pretty cool. You could do it. You'll We'll have to figure out how to monetize the podcast better, I think. Yeah. How, how can we go to 10 million uh, subscribers a week? We'll, we'll talk after the, after the podcast. But Leaf, you alluded to a couple of questions ago, how after you discovered fire, you had uh, some pretty deep conversations with your wife. Can you tell us how that process went? Uh, yes. I think I was reticent to say anything for at least a month or two until I really dug into the numbers and had my own spreadsheet with our net worth and projections if market returns were zero or two or four or 6% and, and all of that. And, and then, of course, thinking, well, what would I do? What would we do? Uh, but eventually... You know, I did say, you know, dear, um, we can do life a little differently, you know, and and I don't know if I presented it with we could move back to northern Michigan, but but that that definitely was uh, something that appealed to her, right? Whether that was her idea or mine, probably hers. Anyway, <laughs> um, and she trusted me with the numbers. I mean, I, I you know I sent her some articles, I think mostly from Mr. Money Mustache. So she would kind of be like, this isn't my cockamimi scheme. Like there are other people doing this and it works. Um, 
yeah, so she was on board and she loved the idea of slow travel like we've talked about. Um, go out and you know, spend a couple months here, a couple months there and just be be free. And that can be really good for the kids, you know, I think to to give them a uh, um, exposure to a wide variety of cultures and languages and more, you know, worldly experience. Yeah. Yeah, and this speaks to another thing that I know you well, maybe not super well, but I'm pretty sure that you and your wife have very similar value systems. And that's so important. If you would have discovered this and your partner has like three different luxury cars and is buying a new bag or purse or whatever the hell they call those every other month, she might have not been as accepting as this concept. She probably would have been the opposite. Like, no, buddy, you're going to keep working. I got to maintain what, what's going on. Right. Here. And it wouldn't have been an option because we would not have been five, right? If we were, if, you know, if, if one person is spending massive amounts of money, well, you're never going to become FI unless you're making two X massive amounts of money. So yeah, like we definitely have been on the same page, uh, more, much more frugal than we need to be. We still are. Yeah. And that's, uh, occasionally you know not the best thing but right overall a pretty darn good thing you, you don't have to share this if, if you don't want to but do you have any examples where you're like we're being frugal here but it would be easier faster uh, more enjoyable if we did splurge a little bit anything come to mind uh well just the other day we were in denver and we went to uh the museum of nature and science really cool place mm -hmm. and it was getting kind of late in the evening. Um, they were open till nine, but we were still adjusting to the time zone change because we live in Eastern time zone, two hour difference. And at seven, seven thirty, it's now nine, nine thirty, an hour past my kids' bedtime. And the buses and trains are all free for the month of August in Denver. So I'm waiting at a bus stop and I'm like, yeah, it should be coming in the next eight minutes, it says. And then we'll switch to the other. And then I was like, or hold on a second. Uber yeah. now <laughs> and we're home in 15 minutes instead of 45 and it cost 12 bucks and we got to ride in a Tesla, which my kids thought cool. was cool. Yeah. It's super cool. He put it on autopilot and he's like, yeah, oh, that was wow. pretty, pretty badass. Did you have to intervene at all? I'm a Tesla fan. So now I'm curious um, to try to he, kill you he would at all. Kind of wiggle the steering column occasionally, or like, as you come to a light, if it's green, that like, he just like tap on the accelerator. Just so it would, yeah. So minimal, minimal uh uh intervention okay, okay. yeah I, I know there's plenty of stories where they're like ah oh, the car tried to kill me a couple times yeah Drove no, we, coming we, yeah okay. we got home safely nice yeah. interesting yeah we, that was the first time that we were in a a tesla a few weeks back uber as well um mm -hmm. in san diego so there were uh, actually we took multiple trips that were in tesla so yeah. we're like this is fantastic yeah, feels much neat. nicer than my truck um, yeah, that's a great example. And Carl and I have a lot of conversations like that where it's like, we're treating $20 like we did when we were in college mm -hmm. instead of $20 like we should now. And sometimes it makes sense. And I'm, I know I like cut corners or try to save money in very dumb ways and then splurge in others. Uh, mm -hmm. Beers, for example, I'm like, sure, I'll pay whatever, 15 bucks for that specific beer. Yeah. But I'm um, I don't know what other things I'm cutting back on, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. The psych, the psychology of how we treat a certain amount of money, you know? Mm, yeah, definitely. And, and, uh, you're right. Like 10 or 20 bucks now, it doesn't, it's not going to make a real impact on our future. Whereas it, it felt like a lot of money in college and it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Um, and let's go a 
beyond your wife, um, her family, your family, any pushback from them? Did they, when did you present the ideas to them or how did that come about? Yeah, it's kind of hard to remember. And I don't, I don't think I had any conversations with like her family about any of it. I think they were excited um, for us to come back to Northern Michigan. Yeah. So like no one was really going to question that. Perfect. And uh, yeah, I think um, now my wife and kids were, were totally on board with, with uh, you know, our, our, uh, our idea of what fire was going to look like for us. And then when was your last day of work and what was it like? So it was August 12th, 2019. Um, I worked uh, a weekend call. So started, well, I worked the full week. So Monday morning through Friday at the hospital and then on call through Monday morning. And it wasn't a super busy weekend, but I remember we had one simple OR case the evening before, maybe 7 or 8 p.m. And I think it was a finger or something. It's not, wasn't memorable. Anyway, took care of it. I kind of had a feeling like this is probably my last last case in the war, but it was just kind of like, okay. And then I, I went to sleep and there's about a 50, 50 chance you'll get woken up to do something at, at night. Um, maybe a little less and it didn't happen that night. So I got a good night's sleep and walked out and I had a 10 to 11, about 11 hour drive ahead of me going back to Michigan where my wife was oh. already living and my son's best friend from grade school, they, my son finished out the school year there. Uh, he was there waiting for me with his mom, and I drove him out so that he could spend a week with us in Michigan. And then his family came out and spent a few days. Uh, so, so yeah, so I had company on the on the long drive, and and it was uh, it felt like a weight off my shoulders, and just the start of something new. Yeah, yeah. So something new. What has life been like since? What have you been up to? Yes, well, I've alluded to our, you know, travel plans. Of course, COVID uh, scuttled quite a few of those, but we did start out in 2019, uh, you know, blissfully looking forward to four years of, of freedom before my older son would start high school. And we're now three years into that four-year plan. And we did go to Mexico for a couple of months, um, went to a city we love called Guanajuato, where we've spent, uh, I think, a total of three months over the last four to five years. And then we spent a couple of weeks in Carretero and also Mexico City a couple of weeks. Uh, really, really good trip and saw a lot of cool stuff. Came back for the holidays, went to Spain for two months, Valencia, Barcelona, Madrid, and COVID was starting to rear its ugly head. And we had planned to come home early March, which we did. And then, of course, we did some domestic travel and... Uh, Spent a lot more time in Orlando than I care to admit, but we bought <laughs> Universal Orlando passes and uh, used them extensively. I believe my wife kept track at least how many days our kids went. We wouldn't always go with them, or if we did, it would be for an hour or two. Uh, but 40 days over the course of four, 15 <laughs> months, they give us three extra bonus months. Um, we went to, well, just more recently now, I think we're kind of, I wouldn't call the pandemic over but it is less threatening and we're all vaccinated and boosted. And so we spent some time in South America, went to Medellin for a week in Colombia. And just this spring, we took a, let's see, big trip, road trip out east, um, flew from Boston to Galveston, well, Houston, saw the Space Center, so that's been some beach time at Galveston, took a cruise down South America, Central America, 
Caribbean, ended in New York, spent a day in New York City, saw the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child show, went to Boston, saw the Blue Band group, saw some family, went to Maine, hiked Acadia, uh, Bar Harbor, all that, drove back through Canada. So that's, you know, the slow travel stuff, right? We did a month in Europe to start the year too. Um, that was interesting because COVID was very much uh, an issue and there were a lot of restrictions, but it also meant that not many people were traveling. So we went to like the Vatican in Rome and there was nobody there. We had literally like the entire St. Peter's Basilica almost to ourselves. You just hang out with amazing. the Pope directly. Yeah, like, all right. And we actually did have an audience with the Pope. Now there were a few hundred people there. Sure. Uh, but but Still, yes, you're in good. the room and he's up there speaking and people, different uh, bishops, I suppose they are, come out and speak in all the different languages, including English. So that was pretty cool. We saw the Pope. Yeah. Speaking of- uh, stuff. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Speaking of languages, uh, a lot of Spanish-speaking countries, anyone in the family speak Spanish or? Uh, no, senor, no mucho. <laughs> uh, we, we're trying. I okay. think I have a 1,018-day streak on Duolingo doing at least a lesson every day nice. in Spanish. And uh, my kids have been using it pretty regularly. So we can recognize phrases and, and maybe read two-thirds to three-quarters of the words make sense now. But uh, I am not fluent by any stretch. I would love to be, but in order to do that, I think we re really need to uh, be immersed and force ourselves to speak Spanish even to one another. But we go to these Spanish-speaking countries and meet fun people that are traveling too, like us, and speak English. And yeah, but we we can kind of get by and and say what we want to say, but maybe not understand half of what comes back. It's challenging. So, Leif, we're going to go to an immersion school in either Spain or South America next summer. Y'all should join us. Maybe go for a couple week, couple weeks and just speak nothing but Spanish. Muy bien. But uh, I don't know. Summers are tough, man. That's when it's really nice in Michigan. I don't like to leave yeah. in the summer. Right. Maybe we could hire someone from the local community, and then we hang out by the lake in Michigan and just pretend. Hablamos español and Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> And so slow travel seems like it's working well. That's how we like to to do it as yeah. well. Um, as far as expenses, did that track along with what you estimated in the beginning? I know that's a, obviously a big variable. We had some inflation and blah, blah, blah. Right. So uh, how's it look? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know the answer because I, I found <laughs> it got kind of tedious to, to track. I did yeah. track our spending for like three years and I published some you know, spending reports and it was so stable that I'm like, why am I doing this? I mean, other than for the blog to prove like, hey, we are only spending, you know, X amount of money. I decided that, you know, and I, I tend to use different credit cards for different things. So even when you use Mint or personal capital and aggregate it all in one place, there's still a little bit of effort there that I don't feel like taking. Yeah. Yeah. But I figure we, when we were tracking and not traveling much, we were spending 60 to 70,000 a year. Now that's with a paid off house and doesn't count charitable giving and some other things, but we're probably in the 80 to a hundred thousand a year range, not counting the house we're building that is going to cost you know, more than 10 X that, but <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's tough. Like it, how do you count those expenses when you're building a home or furnishing a newly built home? Like did I right. spend a million dollars this year or did I spend 110? <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know, but. And um, for, for people. So actually, yeah, well, I'll make it sort of general. For people that are maybe going to retire soonish, say the next three years or so, 
they're looking at their expenses. They know there's variables outside their control. Any tips? So you track for three years. So yeah. you're like, things are stable. We're having a look at this. They're just hesitant. Any advice you can give them? Hmm. Um, advice as far as how to know what you're spending or how to cut back on what you're spending. I'm not quite sure what we're looking for. Yeah, more. Yeah, I don't know either. That's a okay. good clarification. <laughs> uh, usually I just throw it over and hope, hope the uh, <laughs> right, yes. interviewee is better than And better guests me. actually probably <laughs> just take it where they want to take it. But um, So... No, that's a good clarification. So I'm thinking more like psychologically, maybe a little tactical, because you you did track for three years, you said, and it's looks stable. I think we're good. Three years is a lot of fucking data. Mm -hmm. You can move forward with that. So any suggestions on, you know, how to approach it? We're assuming like they have their finances under control and it's like a one-year syndrome kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think I would still... You know, what we did is we oversaved and we worked longer than I needed to. And that allowed for future changes. And I think that you might be okay spending a modest amount of money right now in your current life. And maybe you have for five or 10 years. But maybe when you retire, you might travel a lot more. You might meet people that invite you out to dinners and things that cost more money or you might end up in a you know a premium curling league that uh, you have to <laughs> you know buy a, a really nice broom and the shoes with a slider and all of that i think i guess my advice would be to plan on spending more than you think and now inflation has reared its ugly head and we are spending more than we planned spending you know three or four dollars for a dozen eggs uh, or a gallon of milk, which used to cost a dollar or two, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think be flexible. And the more flexibility you have, you know, if your if your budget is 150000 a year, but you could live on 80 or 90, well, then you're really well suited to uh, to go ahead and, and, and live without the job because you can cut back. But if your baseline budget is... We're spending fifty-five thousand a year, and we've, you know, we've kind of done all the hacks to get down to that level. Well, then, what do you do when life throws a curveball, and now you need to spend more money, but maybe you're no longer abiding by a four percent rule, and the market has gone down, and this is poor secrets of returns, and now, well, maybe you can go back to work. You know, maybe you have options. Just have options. Have have Plan B. Have contingency plans in cool. place yeah all right what was it like going from being very busy i assume you were pretty busy um to not having as many obligations any any issues with that that was great that was fan- <laughs> fantastic i i uh i found it very liberating to just be able to wake up without an alarm clock and uh you know not to have to check a work email and, and all of that but um no, certainly no difficulties. It was wonderful. And then when did you um, start the blog? I'm showing my ignorance. I've, oh, I have not good. read your blog. I'm sorry. But yeah, yeah, when did you start it and how was that? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and that really colors my whole fire experience because, you know, a blog can become a business and it, and it has. Uh, I started writing in early 2016. So there was about three and a half years of overlap where I was working and blogging. And like Carl mentioned, I was anonymous for a while, first couple, two, three years. And mainly because I hadn't discussed with my 
partners and my colleagues, my work friends, that I might be wanting to leave my job. And I'm writing about exactly that online. And so, uh, yeah, so I wrote for um, from 2016 till, well, still doing it. So it's been about half of the blog's life I was working and half I have not been. Ed, your appearance on my blog when you were still anonymous led you led someone to finding you and figuring out who you oh, were. Oh, yeah, that was weird. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, one of my homebrewing uh, club friends. And I was only six months into blogging, and I think I was pretty vague with my answers. And, like, someone would have to know me really well and be reading 1500days.com. Wow. Small and audience. that happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we met him, too. I remember he yeah. gave us some Good mead. guy. Yeah. 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 He's, He's a great, great mead maker. He's won awards. <laughs> awesome. <Yeah>. Josh. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, well, I think we've covered the next question already, so let's go straight to the last one. Uh, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the fire community. You've been in this community for a long time. You're, you're one of the OGs now. Uh, what changes have you seen? And then we have a follow-up question to that. Yeah, what changes? Um, I feel like we've kind of gone in some different directions. You know, you have different flavors of fire now with, uh, you know, lean fire and which is low budget, you know, fat fire is more my style. You know, there's coast fire, barista fire, all these, you know, different, um, like I said, flavors, I guess. And I also feel like the blogging community, I think we used to comment on each other's work a lot more. And I think that is probably because there were blogs and that was about it. Now there are blogs, there are Instagram, you know, personalities, there are YouTube channels, there are TikTokers, there is just a wider variety of ways. There are podcasts and you know video versions of them. So, yeah, it's uh, it's grown in uh, in a good way. Uh, but it also, I don't know, we've kind of all like gone our own direction with it too. One thing that I've seen that I think is pretty nice is when everything started. I remember going to the first FinCon back in 2013, which is a conference for bloggers, and there were a lot of FI people there. It was. Uh, it was all a bunch of Pete clones, including myself. And Pete's a great person, but uh, there was a lot of software engineers who wrote code and uh, were extremely frugal. And now the community is much more diverse in so many ways. And, yes. I, and I think that's great because this shouldn't be just for a bunch of dudes writing code in their basement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what do you think about the future of Fire? Where do you see this all going? Well, one thing I think that we've been figuring out as, you know, some of us have been, you know, post job for five, 10 years that you're always going to be wanting to do something productive in some way, shape or form. Again, doesn't have to make money, doesn't have to look like a job. Uh, but yeah, like Carl, you said, people call you selfish. And I said, you're busy as hell. And I mean, you're, you know, you're remodeling the home you're living in, another one down the street. You've got uh, your blog, you've got this podcast and show, uh, you've got uh, a couple of uh, teen, preteens, as I do, a couple of kids that are busy and, and all, you know, and require a lot and lots of other things going on. You've got the uh, headquarters, MMM HQ downtown, all kinds of stuff going on. So all these, all these different um, ways to fill your time, and and some of them obviously do, do create some income, and uh, you know I think most of us never planned on retiring to the beach and the golf course and any of that, but that's maybe the caricature of of what we're what we're trying to accomplish, and so 
I think just the uh, realization that, you know, even, even if I retired from medicine, well, but I'm still blogging, so I'm not retired and I don't feel retired. I feel semi-retired. It's a lot different, um, you know, the life I have right now than uh, what it used to be. But, you know, and if I were to stop blogging, I'm sure I would pick something else up, something that makes me feel productive and, and uh, occupies my time. Yeah. Retirement is a horrible word. When people ask me what I do, I always tell them I still work. It's just not in the conventional manner that you have stereotyped in your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you work to promote DeKalb uh, seed. Yeah. <laughs> do they pay you, by the way? They do not pay me. These hats were just very cheap. I went to Northern Illinois University and there was a bookstore that sold these for like five bucks. And I actually went to order more because you might have seen some of them in my house and they're in very little, poor condition. I got yelled at for wearing them and yeah. I went to buy more and the, the bookstore is no more. They went under. So, uh, yeah, if anyone in the audience can source this hat here, <laughs> I'd, I'd really appreciate that. Or find someone who can uh, help sponsor the podcast, get DeKalb to, uh, you know, pony up for this free advertising. Yeah. Yeah. And I, for the podcast listeners, uh, Carl has a signature hat. It's, um, we, there's a county in Georgia, uh, DeKalb. Uh, I think it's spelled the same way now. I'm confused, but um, it, you wear these all the time. And I did notice this one isn't as, um, I'll just say dirty. Disgusting. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I touched it. And some of the others that you wear, I would never touch them. You know, they're, <laughs> or it would disintegrate. More, yeah. When, they're, when you did. Yeah. yeah. So brown and just i don't know <laughs> it's best that way i never saw it. the only reason i wear this hat is it's got this mesh thing on it so in the summer the wind blows through it and it's not so hot so uh, yeah i have no affiliation with the seed company or it's kind of disturbing it's a uh, corn with wings on it right and they do genetically engineered things i know some people don't like those so <laughs> talk about a bad logo for what they do but that's corn yeah that's corn this is an ear of corn and it's got wings so they oh. yeah it's flying corn <laughs> okay, I, I see the corn now. All right, sounds like a horror movie or something. Genetic like engineering. That. Yeah, there you go. The day the corn took over. Yeah, cornado. Like <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Very uh, nice. Before we move on, Doug or Leaf, do you have any follow-up topics for this about financial independence? Is there anything that you miss from uh, work? I do miss some of the people. You know, I work with good people, and I don't see them nearly as often or ever. But beyond that, I uh, no, I haven't really looked back too much. Awesome. Cool. There's something you write about that probably that isn't talked about enough in the financial independence community. Um, I think in the FI community, most of us probably have the tendency to oversave. I think you and I definitely did that. I know I could have quit work and you could have quit work earlier than you did, especially with the physician on fire. So I think many of us are going to find ourselves in a position where we end up with way more money than we ever planned for. I know I I have, and I'm so thankful for it. Uh, And what I'm talking about here and what I'm trying to tie into is you give a lot of your money away and you talk about philanthropy a lot on your blog. Can you tell us what you do on Physician on Fire and how you give your money away? Yes. um, Yes. And that's philanthropy, not philandering, just to be clear. (laughs) yeah, I felt I felt a little guilty, right? You said, "Is it selfish to retire early?" And I felt, yeah, I felt a little guilty walking away. You know, I was raised Catholic, so I guess it's uh, you know it's what I'm supposed to do. And one of those ways, I I guess I've tried to assuage that guilt is by um, 
starting to donate money. And I set up Donor Advised Fund, which is basically an investment account that you give money to that's no longer yours. It can only go from there to other charities. They have to be legit 501c3 registered by the IRS recognized charities. And my goal before leaving my job was to have 10% of our nest egg number uh, set aside in a donor advised fund. And we give to and from it. Um, some people criticize them because they look at it as, as a, a kind of a, a tax shelter that doesn't necessarily help anyone. And it doesn't help anyone until you give grants from it, right? Um, but yeah, so I've given, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars to our donor advised fund, and we've given out uh, six figures in grants from the fund. And it's been a, kind of a fun thing to be able to do. Um, at one time, I, you know, for actually most of the blog's life, I donated half the profits um, and some years more uh, than that to just to our DAF and then gave from there. Um, I've backed off of that pledge to donate a full half just because it doesn't work very well tax wise when you don't have uh, another job because you're limited to donating 30 percent. Uh, to a DAF in any given year of your AGI when you're giving appreciated assets, technical stuff. But um, yeah, long story short, like every Giving Tuesday for the last, I think, three or four years, we've just said, hey, readers, uh, what charity would you like me to give money to? And I give $100 to every one of them uh, for the first 100 and then we have our sponsors like people that advertise with us do the same thing. So I end up giving like 150 charities, 100 bucks. You know, which is, is something. And then everybody gets their own say, which is kind of cool. And then like early in COVID, again, I felt kind of guilty that I was no longer working. And now people are subject to these, you know, rough conditions and people are dying. And I offered to go back to work. I told my former uh, boss, I said, hey, I'm still available. I'm still credentialed. I still have my license. And they were like, we don't have any work. Like we're slow. Like people aren't getting their elective surgeries anymore. We and we, we, we'd love to have you, but we haven't, we don't have the need. And I was only going to do it, you know, for the need, not because I wanted to necessarily, but because I felt guilty. And, uh, so what I did instead is I, I just said, okay, well, I'm going to donate, um, you know, this, I think March income to different COVID charities. And so we, I think we gave like uh, a bunch of money to UNICEF when they were going to help you know, deliver the vaccine when it was ready to third world countries and, and to the Red Cross and then just to some local charities like food, you know, food banks and things that, because there are certainly people that weren't able to work because of COVID or they had to stay home and take care of their kids who are no longer in school. Um, yeah. So just uh, trying to use our good fortune to help others less fortunate. That's awesome. Do you have any? So I, I've been much stingier than you. We give in much smaller amounts. But one thing I, I'd like to do is uh, perhaps similar to the billionaire pledge. As I get older and the kids are all done with school, and uh, as I get closer to death, at that point, I'd like to give my money away. But you know, the one thing I think the billionaire pledge gets wrong, I, I think they get a couple things wrong, but it's all a gift after death, I think, right? Like, I think Warren Buffett, he's like, I'm going to give away 90, 95% of my money or 99% after I die. Yeah, the giving pledge, I was just on their site the other day. Um, they won't let you sign it unless you're a billionaire. But I don't know if it's a requirement that you give it away after death. I think it is, I think you can give away during your lifetime or at death. Either, okay. Either or would be my assumption. But um, but I think you're right to, to the point that 
so many people wait until i mean why not give it out when you can see the effects of yeah. it rather than when you're already gone because people don't really think about you much once you're gone right yeah seems yeah. a lot more fun maybe your hometown will have a statue of you in the no. middle of the town or that no the, the rec center or library will be named the pof rec center uh-huh right yeah <laughs> i don't know about that but um yeah you gotta, yeah i know we're trying to i mean it's it's still a it's it's not half it's a much smaller portion but I think eventually, you know, once you start looking at estate tax problems, which could be in our future, well, would I rather the government take forty percent of whatever might be passed on to my kids who probably don't need this money by the time I'm going to die, or would I rather give more of it away and and be under that estate tax estate tax exemption limit? <laughs> you gotta uh, jump up your game bump up your game so you can get on that so you can sign that billionaire uh, yeah yeah so I think uh, I think another like 200x I'll be there <laughs> okay. so uh, I, I've got one side question which isn't really related to giving to charity but it's about giving to your kids I had someone comment on my blog and he had a pretty interesting comment he's like you know I've got a lot of money I've got way more than I need and I'm still young and my kids are young they just got out of college so he's like I could do one of two things I could wait till I die and give my kids all that money. and But by then, it's probably going to be a diminishing return at that point. They'll have already made it. Hopefully, I'm old there, and they're going to be like 50 or 60 by then. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm certain they're in a good place and they're going to use their money wisely, and what this guy said he was going to do is give his kids money when they're young, like when they're out of school, even maybe buy them a house. Because that's when you could really, really help them more. And that's when the money is going to have a lot more value. Have you ever considered that? I feel like that's a bridge we'll cross when we get there. I certainly read about, and if you've read The Millionaire Next Door, you're familiar with the concept of outpatient economic care, where you start giving your children money as adults, and they will rely on that money and spend all that money and then some. Um, But again... What you're describing is, well, you know the kids are in a good place. You trust them to use it wisely. Uh, but, you know, the you know trust fund babies that that have this money coming constantly tend not to be the best stewards of that money. Yep. And so I, I do know my friend, the white coat investor, Jim Dolly. He has a 20s fund for his kids. He does 529s for college. But then he also has just, I think it's a UTMA account. Uh, that's invested. And he says, that's money I want them to have in their early to mid twenties that they can use to, you know, whether it's further their education or make a down payment on a house or just, uh, yeah, just to help kind of get through life when you don't have much when you're young. And I think if you've raised your kids in a way that they respect money and know that this isn't going to be an ongoing thing for the next 30 years, like this isn't an unlimited supply, I think there's nothing wrong with with giving them a a bolus of money. You'd have to be a little careful, like buying them a house, because then you, if you pay for it, but it's their house, then you are lowering your uh, future estate tax exemption because you're gifting more than the uh, sixteen thousand you can each gift to a child. Interesting. Yeah. As a uh, well, I have no horse in this race with no kids and no plans on having kids. Right. I think a lot of people that I talk to that have retired earlier, they're on the path, they feel a great sense of accomplishment by struggling and like paid for your own school or whatever. There's a handful of things, but the struggle is like where you get something out of it, you know? And are you robbing your kids by 
taking, you're like, ah, here, just here's whatever, 500K for a house. Like that's a that's big a, that's fucking a thing, big, right? That's a big, big thing. And that, that, that I probably would not be doing. Um, you know, but to uh, kind of play off that, I think you also seem to get some disrespect if you didn't do all those things, if you didn't pay your whole way through. It's like, oh yeah, but you know, he inherited a hundred grand or, yeah. or I would oh, his say parents paid for college yeah. <laughs> or, you know, stuff like that. And it's like, well, yeah, but then they had a dead parent when they were young or yeah, okay, their parents cared and were able to help give sure. them a head start. I don't think that's a bad thing. We shouldn't look down on the individual for that. Um, yeah, that, that's that's always interesting. And yeah. no, I have not inherited any money. My parents did help pay for some college. I had student loan debt, but not as bad as some other doctors. Anyway, gotcha. I wouldn't. I don't apologize for any of it. <laughs> right. That's a good answer. Yeah, I'm looking for an excuse to um, talk down on people. So you, you did let me out on that one. <laughs> yeah. That was a good answer, Leaf. Any thoughts on that, Carl? Because you're, I mean, you're going to be in that position potentially too. So any thoughts? I bring up that kind of topic occasionally. So yeah. Specifically, what was your question? Can you um, like you probably felt a lot of accomplishment by being able to retire early? You yeah. worked hard, you changed careers, like you had a struggle, like it wasn't just handed to you. So, you know, in this conversation, maybe someone buys a house for their kid. Yeah. So, one thing my mom always said when I was growing up is she's like, You are going to go to school. Like, we're going to make sure you go to college. But what she never said is, We're going to pay for it. And it was because they couldn't, they had no money. Uh, so, what that translated to is they would figure out how to get me a bunch of loans, which is fine. They couldn't pay for it. But because I was paying for it, I'm like, I, I better go for something that I could get a good job at. I'm yeah. not going to major. And I think if you're, I want to back up a second. People are going to get pissed off. You can, I know some people who have majored in communications and they're killing it, but it's because they are very, they're, they're smart people and they figure shit out. But I'm like, I'm going to do something that I know has a direct path to making money. I'm not going to major in anything I think is wishy-washy at all. So, so were you implying communications was the one that is what <laughs> I just want to. Uh, that, that if you're a communication major, please send hate yeah. mail to yeah. yes, to Carl. You'll Carl know how specifically. to, with that degree, you'll be able to figure out how to email yeah. him. So. No, one of the most successful people, people I know is a communications major, and, uh, yeah. and she's killing it. I actually know a second one, actually, who I just met last week who started his own company, and maybe some of the skills they learned in that, but it's not going to guarantee you success like engineering or accounting, where if you do well and you can graduate, you can actually get a degree. You don't even have to do well. If you can just get an accounting degree and pass your CPA mm -hmm. or come out with an engineering degree, there are going to be people fighting to hire you. And and that's what I wanted. And having to pay for it myself made me lean more towards that. So yeah, I appreciate the struggle. And this is a crazy story, but I remember like it was yesterday uh, through college, I had no money. I had to support myself on three thirty-five an hour. So I would buy this, these big things of spaghetti and spaghetti sauce and eat that. Like, hey, like shit, I probably caused mm -hmm. myself health problems by only eating spaghetti for like five or six days a week. I never bought meat. And I remember I, I got my first pay paycheck from college. And the first thing I did, the first thing I bought was a pound of ground beef from the Jewel. That was the local <laughs> Chicagoland grocery store. And I remember it was like $3 before taxes. And I went home and made a sloppy Joe sandwich. I'm like, this is so awesome. I actually have money for the first time in my life. It's glorious. 
So yes, the struggle is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate the struggle. So I don't know how to reconcile yeah. me wanting to help my kids versus, and the other thing is I can buy them a house and they get a shitty spouse and the spouse tries to take the house. And yeah, I yeah. clearly, I have not thought this through yet, but <laughs> I would like to help them if I could, if I know they're good individuals and if I know it won't screw them up or take away yeah. their work ethic. So it's a balancing act. It is interesting. And that's just a thought exercise. I don't have a yeah. horse in the race. Like I said, I think it's, it's interesting to have to figure that out. And uh, I thought that story was going to go different, Carl. I thought you were going to donate blood, plasma, mm-hmm. other bodily fluids, perhaps. It, it probably could have. If I would have had better genetics, there's certain body fluids, perhaps <laughs> I could have uh, donated. But yeah, was that a thing back then? It probably was, but it sounds like a great side hustle for college. And by the way, if you haven't figured it out, we're talking about a sperm donation. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it, bringing it home. Yeah. All right. That's not down the conversation. (laughs) Leaf, is there anything to bring it back? Leaf, is there anything you would like to tell the audience or any kind of encouragement you would like to say about giving back? Um, I would mention that I've never donated sperm. I did donate bone marrow for money in college and they they pulled it out of um, like the lower back, but the, the pelvic bones. And it was really interesting. It was much quicker than donating plasma. I didn't do that. I, I do donate blood, but not for money. Uh, and I did then too. But the bone marrow, it was 50 bucks a pop. It took less than 10 minutes. They were doing stem cell research. So I felt like I was contributing to that. Uh, but it was a really weird sensation. They went through the bone with a like 16 gauge needle. And that what felt worse than that, of course, they did numb it up. But then when they start to pull the plunger on that syringe to suck out the bone marrow, you could really feel that negative pressure inside the bone. It was like kind of like, Whoa. Like the opposite of being crushed, but like from the inside, it was, I'd be like, slow down a little, <laughs> ease up on that syringe plunger. And yeah, I did that five or six times. Wow. 300 bucks uh, with compound interest. Where are we looking at? I know. Three grand now. <laughs> that's all they paid you? 50? I thought it would have been like 250 a shot or something. But yeah. Man. That's all right. That's oh. all I got. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. So we'll we'll start wrapping it down here. So- who would you describe as successful and follow up? Have your views on success changed over the years? Oh, I, uh, I think success is in the eye of the beholder. Like I, yeah. I'm tons of, I mean, many, many, many people are successful. Uh, I wouldn't point to one individual or one group of individuals. You know, if you're reaching your goals and you're relatively happy in your life and you're not screwing other people over, then I think you're living successfully. So, uh, I've never really been one to hold people on a pinnacle. So mm-hmm. I guess I don't know that I can answer the follow-up question all that well. Cool. Um, you know, uh, live and let live, you know? Yeah. How would you describe your perfect day? And you can give a couple cause I know slow travel, maybe it's comfortable yeah. to be at home or something like that, but yeah, what, what are, what are some things you like to do in your day? Yeah. I mean, even this the last few days are kind of representative of, of what I look at as kind of a perfect normal day. Like maybe not like the perfect day. Well, I go to the Super Bowl and the Vikings win and, uh, <laughs> you know, but as far as like, you know, your day to day, now wake up, get some exercise in, uh, you know, see my kids and maybe do a little work on the blog or whatever. Uh, hang out with friends, socialize. And we've been out to local breweries and had people over to the Jensen house and, uh, you know, got to meet you out earlier this week. It's just been like a mix of 
exercise, personal development, you know, like my daily Duolingo, my daily push-ups and sit-ups and, and runs and whatnot. A uh, little bit of education, a little bit of work, a little bit of, uh, actually a lot of bit of socializing. And yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, and then, I mean, if you wanted to go the other direction with like the ultimate, perfect, most amazing day, yeah. you know, like, okay, we, uh, uh, let's see, I don't know, have filet mignon for lunch and uh, lobster for dinner. Uh, the Vikings win the Super Bowl <laughs> and yeah, uh, you know, all these things are not going to happen in one day. Sure. Those yeah. first two things might happen, but they the Vikings could. winning the Super Bowl. It's you, not yeah. happened yet and probably yeah. never will. Hopefully in your <laughs> lifetime. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, I throw the Gophers winning national championship in there too for football, but uh doesn't seem likely. They've done it seven times, but not in the last fifty years. Yeah. And and for those who are, are listening, Leaf has been staying in my basement. Leaf and his family are in my finished basement. Uh for, for the past couple of days. So I always like to look how people live. And I noticed I woke up pretty early this morning, but race was already up your wife. And you were doing sit-ups like in my living room. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then Y'all went out for a run. It turns out I was going out for a run too, but I like to see your balance. I see the kids on devices a lot, but then I look at what they're doing and they're reading a book. So they're not screwing around on social media. And then they had, uh, yeah, you've got a good mix of work and having fun. So, yeah. 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 It works. Yeah. We were up, the whole house is up at like 6 a.m. today. Yeah. Yeah. Getting ready to start our perfect day. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Where can people find you? Physicianonfire.com is my website. You can type in P-O-F-I-R-E.com and get there. And I'm on most of the socials. I do not have a TikTok channel, uh, but I am on Twitter uh, quite often. And I have an Instagram and a couple of Facebook groups, one for doctors called Physicians on Fire and one called Fat Fire that uh, are both quite active with tens of thousands of members. So uh, for those watching on YouTube, or for those not watching on YouTube, Leaf just did a little dance when he talked about YouTube. Do you have to dance to be You're pointing at words. TikTok? I'm pointing oh. at, this is because okay. then the words pop up on the TikTok. Okay. Yeah. I, I do want you to start your TikTok channel and you could break out some old scrubs and I do want you to dance a little bit. I think that'd be pretty cool. I would like yes, to see no, that. Yes, thank you. We'll hire some youthful, better looking person to do that <laughs> i could see it in my head and my vision looks beautiful Eve. yeah maybe race would do it she's much better looking than me and more youthful this has been awesome thanks a lot and um let's get some beers maybe yes i would love it thank you thank you for having me thanks for listening to the show that was the mile high five podcast and i'm doug cunnington the balder host and carl jensen is the cool sexy one if you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, 
This show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. So Leaf, you went for a run today. Are you a big runner? I am a slender runner. I'm not that big, but I <laughs> ran seven miles, uh, two laps around Lake McIntosh, and my wife and I are training for a race, possibly a marathon, maybe a half marathon. Okay. Yeah. Have you done a half marathon or marathon before? We did one a week ago, last weekend. Oh, you did? Michigan. Yeah. Okay. And I've done, we've done a few. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So seven miles, you're just like, eh. I just wanted to stretch my legs a little this morning. It's part of the training. It's on the list. There's a chart. My my wife follows the chart. We don't stray from the chart. And then did the elevation get you at all? It's funny. You know, the first uh, run I had in Denver went really well, but I'd only been in town for like 24 hours. And I think I hadn't really adjusted much yet. And then I think I started having that diuresis and you start to get dehydrated after a few days. My second run, uh, which was three laps along Lake McIntosh, was pretty yeah. tough. But then this today went better again, so cool. I feel like I'm starting to acclimate. Awesome. Yeah. Carl, you've been running a lot. You want to beat, uh, I think you said a six-year-old? Uh, that is correct. My goal is to beat a six-year-old. There's that saying that I kind of like that says, eagles may soar, but weasels don't get sucked into jet engines. So in this case, I'm very much the weasel. Aim low. How, how'd your run go today? It went awesome. It was my first run in years that I averaged under 10 minutes per mile. And it was only two miles. And I was running downhill, and the weather was perfect. And I had to get back in time. But still, I'm going to uh, – it's a victory for me. D- did it feel good? It felt awesome. Cool. Good and for then, you. Yeah, it's pretty are, – are you following a routine as well? Um, I'm following the routine where I run until I feel like I absolutely can't do it anymore and my legs feel like they're going to fall off and then I stop. But it's funny you mentioned that. I was running with our, with our mutual friend, Ray, from Waffles on Wednesday, who was on the podcast. And he's like, yeah, a good running pace. When you're running, you should be able to have a, a conversation without effort to the person you're running with. And that is definitely not the case. I'm huffing and puffing. I probably sound like I'm about to die to anyone around me. Okay. All right. Well, I guess keep it up. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I I didn't run today. I'm, I am I need to hop back in. I got this Achilles thing I complain Ooh. about every week. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I'm, I'm doing a little bit, but I'm I'm trying to hike more and just like not as much. We know how it is running. It's you got to like, rest. Yeah, let Your body will tell you what you need to do. And it's um, it's like... Injury management, training yes. for a, a race or whatever. So, all right. But I get to Very hear y'all good. stories and that that's good enough for me for today.